Hello, I'm Stephen Fletcher. Welcome to this diocesan podcast. And I'm delighted to have been joined by the Church of Ireland Primate of Ireland, the Archbishop of Dublin, the Most Reverend Michael Jackson. Archbishop, you're very welcome. Thank you very much indeed. I'm delighted to be here. And I see, looking at your CV, I see you've been an Archbishop for 11 years now. Yes, I have. Um, before doing this job, I was Bishop in another diocese, which happened to be in my home diocese. And that was a really tremendous privilege to be back among people I knew and who knew me. But I have been in Dublin now for 11 years. And I suppose it is different. Uh, what's in parallel? Well, the basic work of a bishop, which is to serve the needs of people, uh, to engage with them, with their communities, to contribute, I suppose, to their ecclesiastical life and well-being, but also, in a way, to live their life as best you can. And then there are wider duties as well. Some of them have to do with institutions, some of them have to do with um, international duties, and some of them have to do with ecumenical It's still very much a bishopric, like any other bishop, but it's just because you're in, I suppose, a capital city and that sort of thing. It's just different emphases. Sure. And you you began your career in parishes, in a parish in Dublin and then in Cork. How do you find the comparison? I won't ask you which you preferred, but how do you find the reconciliation between being a parish minister and then being an archbishop? I think that's a really important question. To my mind, it's vital that you don't lose some grasp of what it is to be regularly in a parish. And that's why I love to go and visit people in parishes, as well as worshipping with them in church. You build your ministry under God with the same building blocks that your clergy and your lay people do. And I'd be very strong on the relationship between discipleship and ordination. They're both ministries. And the discipleship is the key component that drives ordained ministry. Being a child of God, being a follower of Jesus Christ, and keeping your eyes open in the world that God has created. So I would be miserable if I didn't have an active working relationship with people in their parishes. And, of course, we've been struck in the last two years with COVID and the effects which have had serious effects on the churches, not just in our denomination, but across the the world, I suppose, really. How do you think the Church of Ireland has reacted to these restrictions and these difficulties? Well, I do remember two years ago, I think the last service I conducted was in a church near to where I live on St. Patrick's Day. And then suddenly we were closed. People call it the lockdown. I also call it the lockup because um, the churches, while they remained accessible to people in a way for individual prayer, there wasn't that sense of gathering, which is actually what we in the Church of Ireland do. And other people do it as well. So I think that very quickly, members of the Church of Ireland pooled their skills We live in a generation where we take technology for granted, where people can use it. And people who could use it, whether they were clergy or others, they decided that they wanted to keep, as it were, God moving out from the church into the community and the people they knew. The people for whom I felt really sorry were people who lived in a communicative black hole, because there still are those places. But clergy in those contexts, they 
printed out reflections and they delivered them to people's um, kind of gatepost and that sort of thing. Um, people kept in touch um, by phone and Zoom, I think, has become our friend as long as you don't keep it going too long. One of the things I think we may could have done better, we tried to keep meetings and administration going at the same type of length that we had before. Now, of course, it has to happen, but I think brevity has become the king of lockdown. The shorter meeting, the shorter act of worship is a better one. But I would really take my hat off to the people of the Church of Ireland and the clergy of the Church of Ireland for everything that they did. What did I do in my context? Um, I suppose what I did, I decided that I would write kind of to a whole host of different people every six weeks. So I would write schools, to nursing and residential homes, to hospitals, to people with whom I'm involved in the Porvo Communion, which is, I suppose, Scandinavia and the Baltics, and the four provinces of these islands. And people seem to enjoy receiving those letters. The other thing I would say to you is that living through the cycle of the church's year, effectively on your own, was a tremendous way to engage with the seasonal rhythm with the scriptural colour and vitality, because there wasn't all that much else happening, but that I found tremendously energising. And of course, most of our churches are streaming services now. Do you think that that will continue? Are we going to have that even when all restrictions are lifted? Do you think we'll continue to do that? Well, this may be a very personal opinion of mine, but what I would suggest to you is that you can't really close out people whom you um, brought in. There are people who, in a variety of contexts, two years older, they're two years more fragile maybe, they're two years with less confidence, no reason for them to be excluded. The other thing is that um, if you are able to use the technology in your church, you can actually have people from a kind of parochial diaspora, whether it's a couple of uh, kilometres away or whether it's on the other side of the world, contributing to an act of worship. And I would have thought that one of the things, and I don't want to be too sad about this, but one of the things that really um, benefited from streaming and technology was funerals. The number of people who, in other circumstances, couldn't have been there, who found themselves present at or participating in a funeral service was, I think, marvellous. And... I think there's no reason for that connectivity to be thrown out the window. Yeah, no. Now, churches of whatever denomination are suffering with numbers. Fewer members, fewer clergy, less money coming in. How do you think we should be managing this decline? Well, when you use the word numbers, I took it in those two senses. One was people and the other was finance. I'm not sure anybody has an answer to this. The difficulty with hearing what you say is not that it's not true, but that it does sound a bit hopeless. And my other point in relation to it is it's a wee bit hopeless for the people who are continuing to do good things. Now, I think the church has gone through darkness and light. Some of our sense of bereavement we have to take on the chin. Some of it we have to take as our own responsibility, as something where, when 
the weather was good, we lay in the sun rather than doing missional work. So I think there's a time of kind of analysis and reflection. I think we must not underestimate the need and the entitlement of people to ask us real questions about real relationships with God and neighbour. And so I think hypocrisy is kind of gone. People are very good at reading it. The other thing that is gone is the sense that we were once greater. I think we're being called to maybe a life of parables, mustard seed, for example, this sort of thing that we sow rather than automatically harvesting. I do think that some of the stories we tell ourselves about our past greatness were not actually real. And one of the things I suppose I could take you to a church building in Dublin that's now, well, it's completely empty. It had been used as offices. But in a way, it came just at the wrong time. The cinema was coming in, a variety of things. Church is no longer the only place where you receive information, get stimulus, or actually hear about the things of the Spirit. One of the things, I suppose, that um, excites me is that even though people will tell you, no, 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 we don't go to church, no, 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 I start to talk to them and they ask you and they talk themselves quite instinctively about the things of the spirit and the things of the soul. Now that doesn't fill envelopes and it doesn't fill pews. So I think I'm just being honest with you, I don't know, but I think this is a time when those of faith need to express and voice faith and be less embarrassed but talking about God. Mm. Yes, and of course, one of the solutions is merging dioceses into ever bigger units. That's something that, again, we are going to need to use the modern technology to be able to communicate, you know, look at the distances that the new diocese of Chewham, Limerick and Killaloo. Maybe we're talking about from Belmullet to Valencia. Yeah. Uh, that sort of length, yeah. a diocese of um, the western seaboard. Yeah. But going as far as Burr and Killaloo and a whole host of places as well, the technology can connect us in a way that was not possible before. So I think it's a combination of goodwill and good connection. I still think people like footfall. And I think we're fortunate as well in Ireland that ecumenically, Those who are other than we are and to whom we are other, uh, they want us and we want them. And so that liveliness is really important. And I know you say we're coming out of COVID, we are. But one of the things I'd love to see would be sort of thing that we become accustomed to, maybe a walk of witness with them, a locally made cross on Good Friday and people might gather. Mm -hmm. I know some people who are... um, frightened of uh, gathering but I'd have thought outdoors like that I think there's an opportunity there Well, Something we're finding in in this diocese particularly uh, we're linking up with the Catholic diocese of Killaloo very closely you know you hear very moving stories of elderly Catholics who were told to not even look at the church as they walked past as children and there they are they're now coming into our church and we are doing a lot more worship in Ennis. That's Um, I spent, as you mentioned, some time working in Cork and I had the opportunity and the privilege to work in St Finbar's Cathedral 
which of course has a golden angel which trumpets the resurrection into the city, it had to come down and be repaired. And we just really opened the doors and we had lots of people who came. There would have been members of the Roman Catholic tradition who, as you say, had been told that they weren't to go in. And once the invitation went out on local radio, they said, I'm not staying out. So we were tens of thousands of people and they, they wanted to enjoy something which was part of their city, but where religiously they had previously been told uh, they shouldn't go in. Um, the other thing I think that fascinates me, and I fully accept what you say about things being parish-led, but I also think that Bishop Brendan Leahy is talking very actively, positively and enthusiastically about synodality in the Roman Catholic tradition. Now, it's not the same as our understanding of synod, but I do think that that has to happen locally, even if the invitation comes from Pope Francis through local bishops. But I think that is another point where we ourselves could actually engage and learn. Uh, Of course, we have our structures, which are parliamentary. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about discipleship, faith, witness, community, and uh, the voice of the church being the voice of the people of God. Yeah, and getting out there and being heard Mm -hmm. in whichever way we can. And that's why I said earlier, I think it's important to overcome a sort of shyness about talking conversationally about God. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the only thing with um, Zoom and all the technology is you can't beat actually sitting across a table or no, actually, you, you know, putting your arm on someone's shoulder. No. And, and uh, you know, that's, I think, what, what I feel I've been missing, you know, and uh, technology doesn't replace that. The other thing that people have missed, I think, is the fullness of Holy Communion. Mm. And... How do we bring that back in a way that is sacramental, safe, and hygienic? Many of us have moved forward with individual cups. There are a lot of people who still want to share jealous. But receiving bread only is not actually a reformed stance. People are accustomed to bread and wine from the days of Cranmer and on from there. And I think we really need to work hard to get a positive way of restoring that sense of full communion being for and in and with the people. Yeah, and giving them the confidence that it's safe to do it. That's the thing, isn't it? It is, you know, it is really, yeah. Uh, yeah. But if you look at the way in which there could have been a meltdown in church life, and there wasn't because of people being very nimble technologically, people realising that prayer was both valid and efficacious for others as well as for themselves, and that the religion that you did at home was something that was powerful and, again, could be for others. These are things that are worth cherishing, coming out of what might look like two years of emptiness. Well, Archbishop Michael Jackson, thank you very much for being our guest this evening, and thank you for your ministry here, and welcome to the wider new United Diocese of Chewham, Limerick, and Killaloo. Thank you very much. Well, Stephen, thank you so much indeed for making it possible, and I wish everybody in that newly configured diocese everything that is best. I also wish the bishop, who is a long-standing friend of mine, everything that is best, and the connections that will be made. 
afresh. And there is a will to build togetherness. I have no doubt about that and I have confidence. And I'd also say I have every confidence that ecumenically people will row in because they're already doing it. And that's where the local and the universal will come together in a way that is meaningful individually. Thank you very much.